Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down, get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies, the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, calm, creative, and aligned state and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com, where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind, along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative, manifesting state. Most yoga studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month, and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com, where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials, but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. Shay and I are super excited today because we have a very, very special guest. Um, today on the show, we have Maris, who is a yoga teacher and writer as well as an anorexia survivor. She is also the face behind the Netflix documentary, I Am Maris. And she's really just here to chat to us today and share some of her inspiration and knowledge and wisdom and high vibes that come alongside her very, very powerful story that she shares through the documentary and through her writing. Welcome so much to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
So Maris, do you just want to explain to everybody, I know a lot of people probably have seen your documentary and have seen that story, but I think it's quite useful and quite powerful to hear that story in your own words for perhaps people who haven't seen it yet. So give us an overview of you and who you are and what you're about. Yeah, I guess to make a long story short, I struggled with mental health my entire life, starting with anxiety. And as I got older, I ended up developing an eating disorder and that landed me in the hospital my freshman year of high school. And it was a long road to recovery after that. But the thing that really made a big difference in my personal journey was finding yoga. And now I get to share my story and share yoga as a yoga teacher. And now I'm just passionate about helping other people find what works for them. And so something we talked about before we started recording today is that yoga brings something very, very special to the table when we're looking at the kind of personal development piece or self-awareness piece. And through your journey with anorexia, were you exposed to some talking therapies, you know, counseling, psychotherapy, and how did your experience of those talking therapies compare to something like yoga where ultimately you are actually just sitting with yourself? So I first started seeing a therapist when I was probably 13 years old because my parents had a sense that something was going on, but it wasn't anything that they had a lot of personal experience with. So I started seeing a therapist that I now actually still see today. But when I first started going, I wasn't quite sure or I wasn't quite ready to fully utilize what therapy is, which is a very powerful tool. But I wasn't quite ready to be vulnerable yet. I wasn't quite ready to speak openly about what I was experiencing inside. And so what therapy ended up serving for me, at least in the beginning, was just somewhere where someone was holding space for me. So I sat in silence very expensive silence <laughs> for months when I first started going to therapy. And, you know, you know, thank goodness for my therapist who was willing to sit there with me. And it wasn't until I actually discovered yoga and was able to actually confront the emotions that I had been afraid to confront that I was then able to start to pull that up in therapy and discuss it and break it down in a way that I hadn't been able to access before. And how long did that journey or that process start with you? Because I know sometimes it takes a while for you to maybe go to a yoga class and you have this awesome sweaty session and you don't really realize what's working on a deeper level. So how long did that journey and that process last for you and how did that integrate into your therapy then? You know, I can't quite put a time frame on it, but I know that I started to experience it from the very first class. Mm. So, you know, my first experience with yoga was a hot and sweaty practice, like you said, but it was also integrating the philosophy of yoga. You know, I was very lucky that I wandered into a studio where they were very set on sharing with their students the yoga beyond the asana, beyond the physical practice. So the seeds were starting to get planted right away, but I think it probably took a few months for me to be able to really articulate what was going on and to really utilize it. Mm. And speaking of that articulation, like you are so, the words that you write and everything is just so, so profound. And it really is you, you wise beyond your years. I keep reading some of your posts and I'm like, there's so much wisdom in this woman. Like it's really powerful to see. 
So what, what process or what um, journey helped you and enabled you to get to that deeper level of writing? And for me, I'm a big believer in this creativity piece of being able to process and heal. I run a platform that has got movement and breathing and creativity, and it's such a big part of what I do. So do you want to speak to that creative piece of how that healed you as well? You know, I always say I was raised by books. I've always loved reading. My parents had this rule where, you know, we could be in a grocery store and I would like ask for a toy or whatever. And I wouldn't always get that. But if I asked for a book, it was always a <laughs> You know, they were really big on reading and the importance of reading. And so I just fell in love with it. And it really developed into a love for the written word. And so I think in some ways it was easier for me to have that really quiet relationship right, between myself and the paper, myself and a book. So I journaled throughout my life. And when I was starting to get to that point where I really had to untangle everything that was happening in my body and in my mind, writing was very accessible for me because it's a lot easier sometimes to write things down than it is to say to a person. And so, you know, early on, my therapist, when we were like still navigating that silence, she would have me write things and bring them in. So she would either read them before, read them during our session. And that was in many ways easier for me than it would be to answer questions or, you know, bring things up of my own volition. And drawing and painting really stepped in when I still couldn't find the words to articulate how I was feeling. So there were times where what I was feeling was just so big or so all-consuming that it didn't feel like words could encapsulate it. And so that's where I would start to paint and to, to sketch and to draw. And, you know, I wasn't doing it very intentionally at the time. I don't think I realized exactly how healing it was. But what I was doing was taking all these really heavy emotions and putting them somewhere outside of me. So I didn't have to carry them around anymore. And it had this added benefit of feeling like I was creating something beautiful and something meaningful. And that was just invaluable for me. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It resonated so much with you when I saw so many of your images and your artwork that came up in the documentary. I was just like, oh, this girl is speaking to my heart. (laughs) So if you go back and what do you think were the things that triggered that anxiety in the first place? Do you think it's something that's an external pressure or do you think that it's something that we all have and whether we listen to that voice or not? Like, where do you think that stemmed from? Or do you think it's too much of a big question to answer that? You know, everyone experiences anxiety, right? So, you know, if we didn't experience some form of anxiety, we wouldn't be able to stay alive in some sense, right? If we didn't feel anxiety about that bear running at us, we'd probably get eaten by the bear. So, you know, to some level, we need anxiety to be productive. It's just when it starts to become maladaptive or the way we react to it becomes maladaptive, that it really starts to have a negative impact on our life. So I don't think the goal is to eliminate, you know, that part of ourselves. And I think it's also hard to untangle, right, how much of it is nature versus nurture. You know, I think probably on some level, something in my biology and my DNA may be predisposed to experiencing anxiety to a greater degree. But I also know that I was raised in a community that put a lot of pressure on children. And there was a lot of pressure to go to these top colleges and to do everything it takes to get into them, you know, top grades and top athlete and all the extracurriculars. So from an early age, you know, even if my family wasn't 
big on that. They were never putting too much pressure on me, but the message I was getting from my community, you know, that definitely helped build a perfectionistic temperament, which when combined with anxiety, you know, that can be a dangerous combination. So yeah, I think to different levels, you know, maybe I was predisposed, maybe it wouldn't have manifested in the same way if I had been raised in a different community, but it's definitely hard to untangle. And do you think that, I don't know how much you believe in having a soul purpose, but do you think that perhaps everything that happened happened exactly as it should have happened? Because now you are stepping into this role model, this teacher, and this person who has the ability to help and support others and to give back. I think it's a choice I have to make to view it that way right? Because I also know that there are many other people who have experienced mental illness that didn't have access to treatment. So, you know, I had this wonderful privilege of my parents never had to worry about paying for a therapist. They never had to worry about paying for my hospital stay. So I did have this level of privilege that other people may not have had to be able to now look back and say, oh my goodness, you know, I'm so grateful all of that happened to me. But it is in some ways how I view it. Right. You know, if I were to just say like, oh, that was all so horrible, you know, that shouldn't have happened to me. How unfair. I don't think I would be able to look at the privilege I had and transform that into gratitude and service in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I think that in many ways, it feels like I'm living my purpose right now that I look around sometimes and I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe I get to do this. And I like to believe that there's some greater lattice to the universe that we don't fully understand. And I like to believe that there's some really beautiful magic that happened along the way for all of this to happen. Yeah, you know, I believe in it. I think that there's something there. And also, I do want to acknowledge that this story wouldn't be the same if I, you know, didn't have access to the same resources that I did. Mm. And just speaking about that piece of magic, because... I believe that yoga is such a powerful magic force that, you know, there's so much that goes on that we're not even consciously aware of when we step into a yoga practice. So what was your journey and your transition like to becoming a yoga teacher and now guiding people through that process yourself? Like it's such a beautiful journey. Maybe you want to reflect on that. Yeah. So my teacher training experience was so many things and everybody's experience will be different. But it was very special for me because my teacher, Jenny, she gifted me my training. So she was leading this first training at her studio and she offered me a scholarship position. And I was like terrified. But at the same time, I was like, I can't let Jenny down. Like Jenny offered me this gift. And so even though I was scared and even though I didn't fully believe in myself, I was still building that confidence. I could show up for Jenny. So until I could show up for myself, I was showing up for my teacher. And what I found throughout that training was that what I was really doing was learning how to build that confidence. None of it was about being the perfect teacher. None of it was about pretending that we knew it all and that we were just perfect. But it was really all about, you know, how can you connect to what this practice has given you? How can you connect to the teachings that will always still be learning? There's always more to learn. And how can you offer that gift to your students in a way that is authentic and real and person-to-person connection? And what I learned throughout that training was, you know, although I had grown up in this rigorous academic environment and I kind of went in looking for the gold star, like how can I do all of this perfectly and, you know, get straight A's, whatever that means in a teacher training. What I was really learning was 
how to be the best student I could be with the intention of just sharing and hopefully making a little bit of a difference in even one person's life. Mm. Well, I think you're making a difference in loads of people's lives, to be (laughs) honest. (laughs) I hope so. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over 100 pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28-day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed, tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore Nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore Color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. Even in the documentary, you say that, you know, your teacher saw something in you, and I think that's very true. Like, I think the most powerful and profound teachers are those people who've had a real shift from the practice within themselves and have stepped into their own sense of self-worth. So do you want to share some of the practices that have brought you into that sense of self and maybe it's yoga, maybe there's something else or how you relate to yourself in a more worthy sense of being. It's interesting that you bring up that sense of worthiness because the way my teachers teach the yoga sutras, which is in many ways kind of like the framework of yoga as we know it, so much of it is about recognizing the worth that's already in there. So, you know, as this perfectionist, anxious person, (laughs) I went into yoga, like, how can I fix myself? How can I fix all this stuff that feels like it's wrong with me? And, you know, if you go through the yoga sutras, you know, the first promise that's made is the yoga will show you how to become whole. And I remember hearing that from my teachers and being like, all right, I found it. Like, here comes the gold star. They're going to show me the checklist to being perfect and fixed. But as you continue to read it, it's, really about recognizing that you're already whole. And we become whole when we recognize that we're already whole and complete as we are. And it was a huge revelation for me because I just thought, you know, I must be broken. You know, there must be something wrong with me that needs to be fixed. 
And what the yoga really showed me throughout the gratitude and the embodiment of the physical practice and its emphasis on inward reflection, self-study, is that nothing needed to be fixed because I wasn't broken. What it really required was a slowing of the mind to get to the point where I could appreciate what was already there. That is so well articulated, really. (laughs) (laughs) So in the beginning, when you were showing up for Jenny, what was the tipping point for you when you suddenly realized you were showing up for yourself? I think that it was probably a slow progress over time, right? But if I had to try and think of a few moments, I remember at the end of our training, we had to teach a full class, right? So it was kind of, we weren't testing out, but it was like, let's see what we've all learned. And we offered each other feedback and appreciation. And at the end of my class that I taught, we all sat down and the four teachers were sitting at the front and you were like waiting for them (laughs) to say something. What did you think? And, you know, my teacher said, I've never seen you look joyful before. And at this point they knew what I had gone through and, and what I was untangling. And, you know, they definitely saw, you know, I would come into class and I didn't look happy and I would cry on my mat and I would leave sometimes in a hurry because I didn't want anyone to see all this raw stuff that was coming up. And they saw me as a teacher, you know, guiding them through this practice, which was probably super messy. I probably forgot a side and like held them in chair pose for two minutes. I was still fine. (laughs) (laughs) But it didn't matter anymore. I wasn't trying to be perfect. I wasn't trying to make it as flawless as it could be. I was just happy. And, you know, that was probably that first time that I experienced that sense of purpose, that sense of being on the path. And I realized like, oh, this is also for me. This is also fulfilling something inside of me that I didn't even fully know or allowed myself to admit that I wanted. I'm going to cry. I get goosebumps as you're talking. Um, So Marissa, with that whole idea of you being so private and not wanting to share, you know, you talked about sort of going into your therapist's office and kind of sitting in silence and not wanting to share what's on your heart and kind of wanting to leave yoga practice early because of not wanting to be seen. What prompted you then to start sharing in such a public way? Did you have some kind of, of revelation or was there some internal shift that happened that prompted you to take that action? You know, I think a common theme throughout my life is that sometimes it's easier to talk to an audience than it is to talk to one person. <laughs> and in February, I went and I gave a talk at Lululemon's Leadership Summit. And before we were doing kind of prep work and I was having a few calls with the team there getting ready for my talk. And I had to just deliver my speech to one person on like a Zoom call. And they said, well, you're definitely a stadium speaker. (laughs) 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 Get your energy from the audience. (laughs) Definitely true. But yeah, I think in many ways it was easier to just write it and just publish it and put it out there on a blog than it was to sit down and sit with someone face to face and, and say what I was feeling. And also like when you start a blog, you kind of assume no one's reading it. You're like, maybe my mom will read this. You know, it kind of feels like you're talking to an empty room. So it wasn't until CNN picked up on the blog, at, I think probably six months into it, that I was like, oh no, people are reading this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
did that feeling of, oh no, people are reading this, did that limit you in any way of what you shared or did it encourage you and fire you to share more? When I very first started writing publicly, I think there was definitely some element of a facade that was being put up because I was still working through that perfectionism. And I kind of just shared the stories where I had a clean and clear answer at the end, you know, where I had it all figured out. And I kind of just shared these stories where I was the good guy. I had the answers. I was little yogi that was, you know, so enlightened. <laughs> and yeah, at one point, my teacher, Malia, she pulled me aside and she was like, look, you're a good writer. I like that you have this blog thing, but I feel like you really need to talk about the shit you don't want to talk about because that's what people will resonate with. Like nobody thinks that they're perfect. I mean, if you do, let me know how you feel that way. Um, <laughs> But so we don't resonate with perfect people, right? You know, like a movie star, like you're like, are you real? Like, I can't visualize you as a real human that I could sit down and have coffee with. So I think that there was definitely a turning point where I realized that people would resonate if I shared the messy stuff. And, you know, I published a blog post that was titled, don't talk about the shit you don't want to talk about, that really went into my story of recovery. And that was the piece that CNN picked up on. So it was like this really clear message from the universe society that people want that. People want a real genuine human to interact with. And I think that was a really good sense of validation that I got pretty early on. That authenticity luckily was able to shine through in the beginning and it was validated very strongly. Mm. And on that note as well, in terms of the vulnerability with the yoga, you said you were, you know, going to your mats and, you know, crying and hiding away and then running off because you didn't want anybody to see. And what kept you going back each time, even though that's how you felt like when you were processing and when you left? I think what kept me coming back was curiosity, you know, and like so often when I would share with people that I was working with depression or anxiety the answer was kind of like, oh, you know, just be positive, like, you know, just be happy. And that never was motivational for me. But what really resonated was when I realized that that curiosity doesn't even require hope, right? Curiosity doesn't even require you to think, oh, tomorrow will be better. It just asks of you that you show up. And so I was like, I don't know if this yoga stuff is going to be the answer. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm intrigued. I want to see what the next chapter is. Even if it's not great, I just want to see it. And so, you know, every day I would show up and, and learn a little bit more and a little bit more. And, uh, you know, that curiosity was really what fueled me until I realized that it was a really joyful presence in my life. That's amazing. And that actually just made me think of something is that I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, like depression is looking backwards and anxiety is looking forwards curiosity is about yeah. presence you have in the moment to be curious so it's like that curiososity was the thing that helped you to come to the now so that's the yoga right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. what yeah. is just so powerful this practice of settling into what's here present I just want to maybe give a little bit of to find how this process worked for you when I was watching the documentary something that triggered for me because I was also at a high school where there was lots of eating disorders and lots of unhealthy relationships around food and body image 
And I just wondered what your thoughts were on how the Netflix production team managed to not create too much of a glamorization of the eating disorders because now you've blown up on Instagram and everyone knows you and you know there's lots of people and you're getting lots of attention. And how was that process able to be navigated so that there's not a glamorization of what you went through in terms of the stuff that came before your transformation, the eating disordered stuff? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it's something that I'm really passionate about. So when I was really in the thick of my eating disorder, I consumed every bit of media that was out there about anorexia, right? Like those weird documentaries you can only find like in the deep depths of YouTube. Like I watched every single one and you know, read every memoir, watched every show. And I never walked away feeling hopeful. I never walked away feeling like, oh, recovery is possible. And I never walked away feeling horrified in the sense that, you know, maybe someone who has never experienced an eating disorder or isn't very prone to developing an eating disorder, you know, they might look at, oh, they only ate that. Oh my gosh, they did that to their bodies. How horrible. You know, I walked away like, oh, cool. I've got a checklist of all the things I can do to be better at having anorexia. You know, that was the mindset at the time. So when Laura, the filmmaker, when she approached me about making a film, I was like, cool, we can do that, but we're going to do it my way. And (laughs) I wasn't a producer or anything. I didn't have any say on the final cut, but I got her word very early on that there would be no pictures of me at my lowest weight. We weren't going to share how much I weighed. We weren't going to share how many calories I ate. I didn't feel that those details were necessary. I felt like they would only breed comparison or maybe shame or guilt in someone who is in the depths of a disorder. And I wanted the film to be accessible for anyone, whether you're just trying to get a sense of what it's like to experience mental illness or whether you're in it or whether you're recovering from it. I wanted it to be as minimally triggering as possible while still conveying the strong emotions that come through in the film. And I also wanted the vast majority of the film to be focused on hope. So if you notice, like only the first little bit is, is really sharing what led up to my disorder and the hospitalization. Like that's the really darkest part of the film. And then the rest of it is like, and now here's what's possible. And now here's what I'm still working on, but it's gotten so much better. And now, you know, here's the lightness that's really out there for you to experience. And it was really important to me that people walked away feeling lighter as opposed to heavier and weighed down by what can be a really scary topic. Hmm. So speaking of people who are perhaps in that situation, do you have a message or something that you wish that you had been told or that you'd heard or something that you could share with people as that little bit of hope for them? You know, I, in terms of hope, right, you know, I would just want people to know that full recovery is possible because there's a lot of messages out there and messages that I believed at one point that, yeah, you know, you might gain the weight back and, you know, maybe you'll let yourself eat dessert or whatever. But it was always this message of, but it will never be no real recovery. Like you'll always be kind of teetering on the edge. And the truth is that you can find uh, firm footing and it might take a while and it won't look like perfection because that doesn't exist. And it might not be easy to get there, but it is possible. And I think just understanding that there is a sense of possibility throughout this journey can be a game changer for people because it's hard to put effort towards something that feels impossible, right? When there's people telling you it's impossible, it's hard to devote yourself to working towards it. 
So that's something I guess I wish I had heard more explicitly at the beginning of my journey. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there has to be an internal recognition of the problem before you are able to come to this place of seeking hope or seeking help? Because I think lots of people, and this comes back to this idea of being present with yourself and honoring yourself in a really authentic way. So I don't know, was there at that point internally for you at all? It's interesting because with eating disorders, it's kind of messy territory because we're still working on having an accurate, you know, societal conversation around what it means to have an eating disorder. So, you know, I can remember at times early on before I was hospitalized thinking, maybe this isn't right. Maybe there's, you know, something going on here. But I was like, oh, but I'm not as skinny as that girl in that, you know, magazine about eating disorders or like, oh, you know, I haven't lost XYZ amount of weight, so I must not have a real eating disorder. And so I think that there is a lot of work to be done to acknowledge that eating disorders cover a wide array of bodies and people and identities and behaviors. You know, there's so many different kinds of eating disorders. Um, so I think that would help people, you know, understanding that, you know, there doesn't need to be a level of severity before you can acknowledge that there's work to be done. And, you know, honestly, the earlier you're able to recognize something, uh, I think likely there will be a, a greater chance of it being a little bit of a sweeter journey, a little bit of an easier, softer journey that requires accepting help. And I think that might be even trickier than acknowledging that there is something <laughs> worth working on is reaching out, <clears throat> asking for help, and then accepting it. I think that if you are unable to recognize something, if there are people in your life that are able to help you see that, I still think that it's possible. Because before I was able to fully recognize that there was something going on, my parents helped me get the resources that I needed. And you know, I wouldn't want anyone who has someone in their life that's struggling, that isn't able to see the problem themselves, I wouldn't want you to, to give up on them. You know, you're not able to fix them. You're not able to make them see something they can't see right now. And it's not your job to try and fix them. But I think just your presence of being there and supporting them, I think that can be incredibly valuable. So good. So other than obviously you teach yoga now at this point and you teach at the studio that you did your teacher training and is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you have any other plans of what you're wanting to do and how you're hoping to help other people who've been maybe in your position or what is your goal and your kind of where you want to go with this? Yeah. So the big project I'm working on that's kind of encompassed this time frame is college. I'm in university. Today I'm taking my last <laughs> final of my junior year. So that Wow, congrats. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm studying psychology. So it's okay, amazing. I like I have a strong knowledge. I don't feel like I'm just kind of talking out of nothing. You know, I can share my experience, but it's also helpful to, to have a sense of what feels truly of service. And, you know, if I'm looking forward into the future, I would love to keep teaching and I would love to keep teaching in maybe a more intensive capacity. So more workshops, more retreats where we get to really spend time together and integrate. And maybe, you know, someday I'll get to lead teacher training and pass on the gift that's been given to me. Oh, I love that. Hmm. Amazing. Um, I have no more questions. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like thinking of like, 
I don't even know where to go because you've just given so much like amazing insights and you speak so authentically and so honestly. And I think it's so powerful to hear someone who's been through your story. And it's really, you know, there's a lot of people who go through yoga and the practice and becoming teachers. And there's a lot of talk about how it's changed them. But I think that for you, it's really been a really honest, authentic internal shift. It resonates from you can feel it. So Thank you for sharing your story with so many people because I think it's so encouraging. Thank you so much. I mean, I get to share my story because of platforms like this. And I think it's amazing how many, especially women-led podcasts and blogs are out there now that are really in the interest of elevating people's voices. So I'm grateful. Mm. I'm very grateful. Mm. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on to our show and to chatting with us. Oh my gosh, anytime. It's fun. (laughs) any final words of wisdom before we wrap up Uh, oh my gosh the only wisdom i have because it is so hot here today is wear sunscreen because (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) oh i'm just gonna say it's only 9 a.m here and i'm sitting here like sweating and all i'm doing is talking Meanwhile, we have the English summer oh and it is pouring <laughs> I was in London last yeah. July and it was like, for some reason we went during like the only week that it was like a hundred degrees and it was just hot and melting. Oh and like, gosh. <laughs> it was a good summer last year. <laughs> um, so Marissa, if you just want to give people a place where they can find you and they can connect with you and obviously they can watch your documentary on Netflix um, if they haven't already seen it. But if you just want to give out places where they can find you and your writing. I'm Yoga Maris on everything. So Y-O-G-A-M-A-R-I-S for my website. That would be that.com and then Instagram, Twitter. It's all just Yoga Maris. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show with us. And I'm so looking forward to sharing your story with our audience. Thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide, Nine Steps to Love, Nourish, and Connect with Your Body, to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. 
You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community.